Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hello to you, Ken, and to you, Kieran. Hi, Owen. How are you? Hi, guys. I'm good. I'm pleased for a great football man today. Maybe the greatest football man in modern European football. Pep Guardiola, Ken. Oh, yeah? Too often Pep looks like a guy who has the weight of the world on his shoulders. I'm not sure he's a man who manages to leave his work at the office. Let's just say Mm. that. Get that nine to five done. Get home. Relax. The office is a state of mind, don't Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's just basically his mind is like an office. It's like a personal hell from which he can never escape. And not even an office he enjoys greatly. No. Uh, you know, and sometimes I even wonder if he gets any joy anymore from coaching some of the world's greatest footballers. I suppose when you cut your managerial teeth in charge of Leo Messi, mm. it's kind of hard to be impressed by anything you see on the training field or on the pitch. But even Pep was reduced to childlike wonder at Robert Lewandowski's five-goal haul in nine minutes for Bayern on Tuesday night. Yeah, amazing. It's that's one of the most um, amazing thing things anyone's ever done in football. Literally, I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's just stupendous. Five in nine. I mean, this is they were losing the game. He comes on as a substitute. Um, this is like the second team in the league. A bad week, I suppose, for Volkswagen in general. Um, they've they've had they've had a couple of little issues relating to some uh, some unfortunate uh, little acts of corporate corruption. They uh, they <laughs> they practiced on a mass scale. So I mean, it wasn't great. Their chief executive had to resign and. And whatnot, and now their little tough couple of hours for them there. Their pet football team ended up getting absolutely eviscerated by Lewandowski. Um, I don't know what, what basically do posterized by one of the great YouTube uh, uh, moments. Well, I hadn't even realized. Uh, I hadn't even realized that he was a sub. This is the kicker for me. It was, I, I was watching the goals, and the last one was absolutely amazing. That sort of scissors bicycle kick into the mm. corner. What an impact by the substitute! But the commentary was, was very good. It must have been BT Sport. The mm. clip I saw. It was just no. It was it was essentially it was stop it. Yeah, it was like, yeah. No, no. This this isn't this isn't this is nuts. This is too crazy. And even the perfection of that last goal. You see it going in from one angle, and you're like, oh, what's that? That something's just been knocked off the back of the the sort of stanchion there, at the back of the goals. And then you see, oh, I see what's happening here because the the it was a camera which was capturing the ball coming at it at a ferocious pace, and suddenly <laughs> the camera hits the deck, and it's all gone, gone haywire. He couldn't have finished mm. it any better. 
Yeah, no, it was uh, an epic uh, posterization of Wolfsburg. What does that mean, poster? I've never heard that before. Uh, basically, Michael, when Michael Jordan was uh, in his pomp, he would like throw down a dunk over someone. So he would like yeah. jump in front of someone and, over and slam dunk the ball. And basically, the person whose groin... And whose face ended up in Michael Jordan's groin. groin with that, that's basically what happened. You were going to be on a posture, right. basically, a Michael Jordan posture. <laughs> obviously, like yeah, in it's a not the place you want to be in American sport. No, no. in that posterized position. Was, that was Wolfsburg with their face in Lewandowski's groin. Exactly. groin as he exactly. we have it is, yeah. Report um, on sport. Yeah, I mean, he, he's amazing, Lewandowski, and and at the same time, John O'Shea, I think, was in the Sunderland team that was letting in four goals in a, in a quite short space of time against Manchester City. Um, these two great athletes come face to face in Warsaw uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, and it's good that they're both getting these performances out of the way. Yes. Uh, before that match. Excellent. It's excellent. Um, Lewandowski, what are the chances of him sustaining uh, this uh, goal-scoring rate? Only as low as reasonable. Well, listen, when you think about it, I mean, he was averaging a goal one, every 1.8 minutes. Mm. And even, you know, once that, after that fifth goal went in, his, there is a goal drought. You yeah. know, his average went way down. Um, so what we're what we're seeing, but what what we're hoping to catch basically is the downswing of his goal graph there. Yeah. So goal every one point four minutes, one point eight minutes. My maths are right, I think. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, we're hoping that that will even itself out over the course of a season, or at least over the course of you know a month. That would be that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. Um... Because otherwise, we we are not going to go to European Championships. Uh, we can say that with, with confidence. But uh, uh, there was an amazing result as well at Celta Vigo. Celta Vigo, who slaughtered Barcelona by four goals to one. And the charge, uh, in this case, was led by the, the relentless genius of Iago Aspas. Oh, formerly of Liverpool. Formerly of Liverpool. Um, Iago Aspas, a man uh, described by Steven Gerrard... In his new book, which is out today, uh, nice boys, technically good footballers. Uh, they could play one, two, they could see a pass. Look great at times at five aside and seven aside. Um, but straight away, as soon as I saw them in the dressing room, I knew they weren't going to make it in the Premier League. <laughs> Who's they? Who's he? Iago Aspas and Luis Alberto. Oh, okay. It boiled down to physique. They had the bodies of little boys and looked about 15. I thought, <laughs> Jesus, how are you going to cope against John Terry, Ashley Williams and Ryan Shawcross? I immediately knew Aspas would never be able to play up front on his own. Could he play in a two? Maybe. He's quite clever, but we hardly ever play with two up front. Nine million pounds, wasted. I wasn't wrong. Um, so there you go. Uh, not not a very um, good opinion of Aspas. Uh, from Jared. there, but you see against Barcelona, he's bursting through the centre. Uh, scorching away down the field. Okay, looks like some shambolic Barcelona defending, sure. Uh, but Aspas approaches the penalty area, loops the ball over the goalkeeper uh, with a sublime touch. And you're thinking to yourself, come on, you know, Barcelona, pretty good side. Uh, Balotelli obviously had, had knocked in a belter of a free kick, although it was a free kick. You know, he, he can score free kicks and he can definitely score penalties, but it's kind of this stuff in between <laughs> those moments in the game that, that has been... Uh, problematic for him but that's I mean I don't know what Liverpool's transfer committee I mean I, I see that line from Gerrard as soon as I saw them in the dressing room I knew they weren't going to make it in the Premier League and I'm thinking <laughs> they're not asking me I mean they asked him, they're asking him to do everything else according to this book not only were they asking him to like talk to prospective buyers of the club 
this was before the Fox, like, uh, the, or rather Fenway uh, sorry, uh, Sports Group arrived. Um, but there was also, uh, you know, D- Dubai International Capital, this kind of thing. Jared's being asked to, to talk to them. He's being asked to obviously try and sign players like William, text William, see if he'll sign for us. Brendan Rogers said, can you maybe get another William there? I think he might listen to you. You know, Maybe it's better coming from you than me. Uh, sorted out the Luis Suarez uh, transfer situation when Suarez wouldn't talk to Brendan Rogers anymore. Did he? Basically managing the club, <laughs> according to his own account. So I don't know why they couldn't have asked him. Stevie, by the way, we're thinking of spending nine million on this little Iago Aspas lad. Do you mind having a look at him? You know what I mean? And they just parade him out in front of him. It's yeah. like again in NFL rec- references, like meet him at the airport. He he he's about five foot three with eight and a half stone. Uh, you sh- you shouldn't be able to miss him. <laughs> as soon as I saw them in the dressing room, I knew they weren't going to make it in the Premier League. Really? Well, somebody uh, somebody on that committee should have that sort of insight. You know what I mean? There, maybe he needs. To, maybe he should have joined it. I don't know. But where are we? Um, last we, night's what, matches. Yeah, we might we might get back to to Jared. But in the case of uh, last night, the other thing is Anthony Marshall. Incredible. So he's now scored four goals. And all the goals have been class. This this was another of, of what's already become his trademark goal. His Thierry Henry open up the body and curl it around the goalkeeper. Sort of frictionless glide into the penalty area. Uh, you know, with the ball. By the way, one of the most impressive things about this goal that you, that you have to look at is... It's not just the finish, which we've seen before. It's kind of all happened. Well, of course, he was going to just open up and, and, and uh, slide that into the corner there uh, as though the goalkeeper was a traffic cone. Of course, he was going to do that. You know, you expect that. But the, uh, the actual run into the box, he's, he kind of holds off, shrugs off a defender. But what's interesting about the run is he takes two touches on the run and the ball almost never goes in front of him. It's amazing. He's almost running on top of the ball. It's so close to his feet. It's so it's so kind of close to this, the center of, of where he is. Um, it's phenomenal control, really, to see uh, uh, to see what he's able to pull off. I mean, this is this is unbelievable. Yeah. Like I, I honestly can't. It's the most impressive start to a Premier League career that I can remember. As impressive as Rooney. I mean, Rooney was a bit younger. Rooney smashing in that goal against Arsenal. Okay, he was sixteen, but it's as good as any signing I can remember. Mm. You know, it it's might... the contemptuous nature of the finishes. Uh, uh, the, 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 t- the goal last night was just all about, this is so easy. This, I mean, you've given me the ball here, 25 How many out. goals is this guy going to score if, if, if he can put away chances like that? I mean, you know the way a, a striker misses four to score one kind of thing, typically? This guy doesn't really look like he's going to miss that many chances. Like, he could... It's kind of frightening. Chris, uh, Graham Hunter on his big interview podcast has interviewed Chris Waddle. I don't know if you've had a chance oh, to yeah, that one yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's really good. Yeah, I'm only in the middle of it now and it's, it's excellent. But Waddle was talking about his ability to beat players, you know. And his point was, look, you, I see a lot of players and they're trying to beat them from five yards away. Yeah. It's absolutely pointless. I mean, you can do, you can do all the stepovers there, but unless a defender's useless, you're not going to go by. What you have to do is tempt him in, get, get it to the last possible moment where the only things that could happen is you can go by him or he can take the ball off you. That's the risk you have to take. Uh, and then you then you nick it by him. And if you, Waddle obviously had the mentality, well, if he nicks by me, I'll just do it to him the next time. So he obviously had that confidence. But Marshall, if that is the level of his close control, is putting himself in a position to do that. Yeah. And he's also obviously composed enough that he'll he'll uh, he'll have a goal at it as well. So yeah, It's, it's just the, the way science. he took the, the centre-half completely out of the game by just kind of gliding across him. Yeah. It was like, well, foul, foul, foul me, me and, yeah. and 
you know, give it's away a, a penalty. Card and a penalty. Yeah. yeah. It it just made the defender look completely and utterly helpless in a situation yeah. where it's basically a fifty fifty. Yeah. Uh like a moment before. It is pretty impressive. I I kinda of feel like we might be Losing the run of ourselves. Yeah, but we might as well. well, well look, yeah. it's, it's true. Look, Bernie the facts Rone are... wrote an article about it in the Guardian. Actually, which is all like you know the hype. You know, you're either like slated for uh, hyping for, him up too much, yeah, or not. Uh, but he's or, been absolutely brilliant so far, and we don't know what he's going to be like in the yeah. future. So, what can you, there? There you go. You're taking all of the fun out. Yeah, so far he's been very good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this it, the fact is, you know, it's way better than Ronaldo. You know, it's way for, Cristiano Ronaldo came to Manchester United, had a brilliant debut against Bolton, I think. Played quite well, was nowhere near as good as this. So that's that. That's what we can say as fact. We don't know if he's going to go on and you know break all these records like Ronaldo did, but it's a good start. Uh, where are we? Oh, um, you've been getting bored. Oh, I, I keep looking over. You're reading a book. I'm thinking, what's wrong? Why's Ken, where are Ken's eyes glazing over there? What's he? Alex Ferguson, he what, are you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What, is this another updated version? Another, of no, it's, an, it's, an, it's another all-new rehash of Ferguson. <laughs> uh, it's called Leading. It's by um, some kind of venture capitalist guy. Michael Morris is the name of the guy. Um, Ferguson in Conversation, one of his high-powered sort of, you know, corporate buddies that he's increasingly, uh, you know, the more successful he became, the more he could... Cr- uh, he could extract the essence and crystallize his his uh, managerial genius, and um, turn t- you know turn it into stuff that other people could learn from. You know, uh, teach at Harvard and all this kind of stuff. Do seminars. Uh, he increasingly is uh, part of this kind of global business elite who are paying him tons of money to you know give speeches and tell them how to succeed. Mm-hmm. And this book is supposedly, you know, uh, it's called it's called Leading, as I said. And it's, I mean, it's just rubbish. What? How so? Well, it's just rambling. It's it's like unstructured rambling, with no, uh, with almost no depth. This is very occasional little, like sentences that might contain an interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. But that's not. For instance, Alex Alex Ferguson has been a lifelong subscriber to the Daily Express. I didn't know that. I thought that. Um. He hates I have newspapers. To say, that's the most interesting thing in this book. We're in big trouble. He takes the Daily and Sunday Express. Um, someone was telling me that, uh, in fact, what this in practice meant was that it was the Daily Express Manchester correspondent Richard Tanner who would frequently bear the brunt of Ferguson's wrath. <laughs> <laughs> What's that shite you've been, you, you know? And he would kind of stand in for the whole. But I mean, imagine Ferguson. You he's know, got a, he's got a deep. Ferguson has got a deep interest in uh, the exact circumstances of Princess Diana's death. Yeah, Ferguson, and, like, uh, what food stuff was killing you to, to this week? Oh, that that stuff. Big you know, beads could kill. Going in and, and shouting at the the canteen staff for you know the, all this this menu that they have which is causing diabetes and then <laughs> and also concerned about immigration I suppose would be the other uh, would be and the also other worry watch, and watch out for those killer seagulls uh, I yeah. think that was every, oh, I think that every, was every, paper, every newspaper was talking about the that's a bloody seagulls. big story Odd. but you know he's just like for instance uh, he, he he has this weird little bit where he's like oh yeah you know uh, I, I do take an interest in watching managers in press conferences sometimes I think oh son what are you saying you know and you're thinking, oh, this could be good. You know, what's Fergie got to say about this? And he says, uh, you know, I called up Nigel Pearson. I saw him last season. Thought he looked a little bit too, uh, sort of, um, what was it? Uh, Confrontational? No, no, that, this is the thing. Uh, he, uh, he, he was, I don't actually have these quotes in front of me now, but basically he was saying that, that Pearson was too 
upbeat. Like his team were nailed to the bottom of the league. Yeah. And Pearson was kind of too upbeat and, and blithe and sort of, well, you know, how are you all today, Mr. Journalists? Uh, and, and I said, no, you gotta, you got to try and put across a bit more sort of a sense of like concern. So he rang him up? He rang him up to say, Nige, listen, you need to, uh, you've seriously got to sort of... Um, show that you care a little bit more because I'm looking at you and pressing quite frankly you, you look as though you don't even really care about this situation so what are you going to do you know you need to toughen up a bit there so Nige obviously took it on board and started choking people called <laughs> called one of the journalists a prick uh, had that weird At seven ostrich, minute are you all ostriches <laughs> yeah, yeah. are you an ostrich you can <laughs> I can <laughs> I don't you, you, you probably don't have the flexibility to touch your toe, to put your head in the sand or whatever it was so, but and I'm thinking Tell us what you thought of that then, Ferguson. I want to hear what you thought of that. But he just, he, the story just finishes. Like he just calls him, he's then talking about, oh, I rang up Alan Pardew. I said, why don't you fall out with anyone anymore, Al? You're not Alan Pardew anymore. You're not falling out with people. Uh, then he got the job at Palace. And you're like, what are you trying to tell me here? This is just like disjointed ramblings. It's, it's not leading. This book should be just called Annoying. Rambling. How to annoy other leaders. Yeah. <laughs> Calling up other managers, patronising them. Look, I mean, I, I found that there's very little in it that you don't already know. He, he comes out with phrases like, a young player will, will uh, run through a fence for you. An older player will look for a gate in that fence. And I'm thinking... Did we really need to waste two two lines of the book on that? Like, Chestnut, you know, we heard that from Brendan Rodgers three years ago. Is Alex Ferguson seriously passing this off as a, as a molten droplet of insight? Come on. You know, this is just, I don't know. What else? Oh, the, the other thing, he loves Ronaldo so much. It's almost obsessional. His his uh, his regard for Ronaldo. I mean, the 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 one interesting thing about reading this book after a while is you're, you're like, this book is so boring. On the other hand, Ferguson can't. He Ferguson could write a really interesting book, or at least you think he could have. Maybe he could have. I don't. I don't know if he oh, still yeah. necessarily could. But he would have to be honest. Yeah. And it's like the habits of a lifetime are impossible for him to break now. They're too ingrained. It's impossible for him to be sincere. Every single thing that he says has to be. Well, people are making a big deal out of Roy Keane being... I don't know if this is in the book or in promotional interviews that he was doing. could be from... It's in the book, too. Is it about... Uh, the, we already had... We already, only, well, see, this is the thing. Everyone's getting head up that he was saying, oh, our, the only world-class players that I had were Giggs, Skulls... Ronaldo. Ronaldo and Cantona. And, Cantona. Um, and it does seem unfair maybe leaving Keane off that list. But actually, he prefaces it by saying, the quote that I saw anyway people bandy about world class there are only two world class players at the moment in the world uh, mm. playing football Messi and Ronaldo yeah, well, thought, my, well, well that's nonsense I mean, that, that, yeah. that's a ridiculously high level to be setting the phrase maybe being pedantic and worrying over words here it's but balls it's complete balls what are you talking about world, world class means you can operate at a world level yeah, say if there was a world, a world yeah. game there's only two of them two teams the best, play, best players in the world you know what I mean could you get in the, the top 22 players in the world you know the top two or three players in your position I'd say that makes you a world class player yeah. Um, and anyway, if if Ronaldo and Messi are the benchmark, Giggs and Skulls and Cantona can get off They're that list. They're a little list. lucky yeah. to be on there. Forget about them. it. Yeah. Um, I, but but it's it's like okay, every 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 line in this book almost everything Ferguson says is like there's an, there's an agenda of some kind. You know what I mean? There's like a he's saying what he says for a reason, which isn't necessarily always in the sentence. But you, you know, if you kind of are familiar with him over many years, you're like, oh. so when he's talking about how great these players are. And he's and he's not mentioning Keane in the list. You know what he's doing, right? You know exactly what he's doing. And 
And Keane obviously had, had... It couldn't be any more obvious than if you'd said, I've, I've had six world-class world class players. Giggs, Skulls, Cantona, Ronaldo, Ince. And Veron. Jemba Jemba. And Butt. Yeah. And Cleberson, Cla- <laughs> <Yeah>. Andrea <laughs> Pereira. These were all top players. Top, top players. Roy Keane worked his socks off. He shouted. He shouted a lot. He, he his intensity in could intimidate yeah. his teammates, he says. Uh, at one point. I mean, come on. You know, it's ridiculous. And Schmeichel as well. Come on. Peter Schmeichel was clearly a world-class player. I mean, he might be the best goalkeeper I've ever seen. I mean, you can't name three better goalkeepers than Schmeichel. That you, I mean, who, who, you know, tell me, you, you think of three better goalkeepers? No, that guy was amazing. Managers often, I don't know, managers have a strange relationship with goalkeepers. They yeah. don't really count them as players. Well, it's just, it's just, all, it's all about, in, 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 in Ferguson's case, it's clearly, uh, these are the guys who got on with him. But like, it's, it's funny, he has a, he has a letter, the, these are the guys who didn't fall out with him, rather. The world-class players who didn't fall out with him. He has a letter that he wrote Cantona after Cantona left. Have you seen that? No. Yes, it's been all over the internet. Yeah, it's, it's kind of nice in a way, but it, it has, it has Cantona, did you not see it? No. He, he, it's basically just, just to reiterate yeah exactly this is why I was giving Murphy, no, like, come on, I was giving Murph a look here because I said no I haven't seen it and Murph says it's all over the internet as though any clown would have read this yeah. Yeah. and now you reiterate it by saying you haven't he, seen yeah, it so you really didn't see this now sorry uh, the letter to Eric Cantona what's you, you haven't seen it's it it's a sweet <laughs> little letter from, <laughs> from Eric you know my friend uh, now that you're no longer my player just want you to know how much I respect you as a man you've got a friend here you know if you ever it would give me so much happiness if you just drop by with no fanfare just for a cup of tea you know Chinwag, uh, but he in a, in this letter he he gives like a little you know oh as you can see we are doing quite well um, since he left uh, we have signed Teddy Sheringham he's not getting as much space as he did at Tottenham however we hope that he will work out uh, we still want to win the Champions League uh, I do think you shouldn't have retired but you know then he says the one thing I'd advise you to do because he can't resist giving advice all the time leading, right? leading. he is leading Annoying. this is this is like this 16, is 17 years ago yeah, he's like I would suggest to you Eric that don't lose your fitness. Don't let yourself go. You know, I remember when I stopped playing, I was 32, I was managing for a while, then I forgot about my own fitness. And then at 38, when I started training again, trying to get my fitness, it was it was bloody hard. It was bloody hard to get back. So don't let yourself go, Eric. I wonder what he thought of what happened <laughs> uh, in later years. I mean, in Cantona, he became a sort of, um, you know, looked at some sybaritic, let's say, uh, not to say Tony Soprano-ish physique that <laughs> Cantona developed, but uh, disappointing for for Ferguson. He he didn't lose any respect for the man. That's it for this edition of Ken Hardy's Report on Sport. And he is my second captain. Second captain. That's uh-huh. the humorous competition. I saw that. Important man for my selection. Richie Sadler has popped himself down here beside us. Richie, how are you? Owen, how are you doing? I'm not doing too badly at all. Good to, good to see you as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diego Costa is the main topic of conversation today. He's had his ban overturned. His three, or Sorry, I should say, Gabriel has had his ban overturned. Poor old Diego Costa has gone the other way and he's got a three-match ban. Do you agree with the right of the FA to completely reverse what actually happened or the decisions that happened on the field of play? Yeah, I think... A broader point, I think NFA should have the right to do that because there will be cases where there is a, a, 
a huge injustice, which is obvious, and for whatever reason, the, the, the ref made an incorrect decision. In this case, I'm surprised that Gabriel isn't serving a suspension because, in my view, he was legitimately sent off. Mm. What he did is a red card offence. Um, so it, it's the, the explanation that the FA give. That's a bit I'm looking forward to reading because they're going to have to explain with some degree of consistency in line to the previous decisions or the, the rulings as they exist as to why they think this decision is the correct one. Like, he kicked another player and there's, there's evidence to so, to, that clearly shows he did it and no one's saying he didn't do it. So... Um, you, you, I, I would assume like the the provocation by the opponent that can't be considered in any way because the, the act still happened. Yeah, you can't. I mean, geez, we're all provoked. You stand on a pitch, you, you're going to get abused from all sides. You can't claim that you know you have no other option but to do what you did. Not that I expect that to be in the FA's the explanation, but I'm surprised they did it. What about uh, Costa? I mean, effectively, what they've done is reverse the entire decision. So mm. Costa has been sent off now instead of Gabriel, apart from the fact, fact that Gabriel was sent off in the actual game. But he's Costa's now the one with the ban, having not even had a foul given against him in the game. Do you think he deserved that? I, do, I think, in general, the reaction to Costa is massively over the top. I, I don't think he's this monster that people are, are, are making him out to be. If you look at actually what he did in the game, Christ, I, I, I don't know how many times I've did the exact same thing. You're, you're, you're wrestling with a fella who's marking you at a set piece and you're jostling for, for position or you're trying to bully him or intimidate him or he's trying to do it to you and it's what goes on. I think where Costa crossed the line in a lot of people's minds is when he turned and started complaining to the referee because up until that point you just think, right, he's one of those fellas who... And there's loads of other footballers who, who, who you know give as good as they take. They're... they're, they're combative styles but when he then starts roaring at the referee they're hang on you whinge bag like you're either you're either engaged in this kind of a, a combat or you're not if you're willing to give it then take it and I think he would have been seen in a lot of people's eyes as something different had he remained just a bit of a brute hit me I'll hit you but complaining to the ref in the way he did I just thought ah, hang on well, just can't a, have a boat wave. as an add on to that I think also the thing that annoys people about him is that Fine, you play on the edge, one of these players, you can't take the fire out of him, he's combative, he, he likes to scrap all those things. But that there seems to be a, a growing feeling that actually he's a little slyer than that, that there's a premeditation to what he's doing. Mm. That he's not going out just to, because he, he's not going out and get involved in this just because he loves a physical battle. He's actually trying to get other players sent off. Well, it, am I right in saying that? Yeah, is that, I, that part of what, what, what the, why there is so much condemnation coming down on him? Well, I, just to, to take Richie's point there, I mean, if he doesn't turn to the referee, then everything that he's done before that is kind of pointless, you know, because what everyone is saying about Diego Costa is that, well, he's just expert at getting people sent off. So, I mean, I don't think it's he's like fire in the belly kind of guy necessarily. He's basically a guy that goes out to annoy his mm. uh, opponent, which however he feels is best to annoy that opponent on that particular it day. It seems like he nearly manufactures his own anger sometimes. Maybe yeah, that's not course. right at all. But it's, oh, I'm really angry. You know, you're going to get really angry. So now it's really different get... from the red mist descends kind of Eric Cantona vibe. Or, the, exactly. or the Suarez, the individual yeah, moments. Suarez, Suarez could be exactly. playing an entire game and not much goes on and then suddenly he bites somebody in the arm. You well, know? That's, which that's isn't really exactly the Costa way. I mean, say for instance, uh, there was a line in a uh, piece by David Heitner in The Guardian talking about this and talking about Chelsea being angry like Diego Costa has been uh, has been suspended so here's the line says there's the feeling at Chelsea so someone at Chelsea says that <laughs> that Costa plays on the edge 
but is almost always in control and knows how not to cross the line with anything too flagrant, right? Mm-hmm. Which is true, I think. Obviously, he's been lucky at times. I mean, he's, he's stamped on guys, and somehow yeah, but they he, just don't he, see he it. Never, he never gets seen. He, he knows how to do these things without getting spotted by the referee. Although the twenty-four cameras are more <laughs> challenging. But does that make him worse than someone like Luis Suarez or Eric Cantona, who did these crazy things because they clearly lost control, like they totally lost their minds, jumped over the fence into the crowd or whatever, uh, you know, bit people. Costa is is doing all this stuff while totally almost cold blooded, you know, in his in his right mind. Is that is that worse? You're trying to t- explain them in, in terms of they're two different circumstances. If you go out with the intention of doing it and you're lying in bed the previous night going, "That's my plan," visualizing, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a, I I know him up against, I know I know him marking at set pieces, and I know what I'm going to do to rattle this fella, as opposed to just. Ah! The, yeah. yeah, Dennis Wise used to do it when he he came to us after Leicester City, and he, he he'd been had he been sacked from Leicester City for punching a teammate or something. Yeah, do you remember? They, they, didn't he go into someone's hotel room and break their jaws? They that was it. He, he broke he broke a teammate's Are we sure jaws. About this now? Yeah, no, that's there's no risk of libel. You don't okay. need to get. That's fine. He, he did that. It's 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 public, and uh, then he came to us and. Just seeing him in action in a match was why. What sort of stuff? Proper wind up. Ah, oh, he everything. Do you know some people you 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 read about from a distance and you wonder are that actually what they're like or is that just a media creation? Of course, is, yeah. is that just do people think he's like that and he's not? He was everything that his reputation suggested he would be before he came. Just winding people up, getting in 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 with the referee, um, and and to great effect. Well, like, I mean, can you can you remember any of the details of how this used to happen? It was the jaw and cheekbone, instead of just to just to be clear. It was Jesus. the jaw and cheekbone of Callum Davidson <laughs> that Dennis Wise broke. But like, what you know? What so? What does he? Did he ever try and sort of um, take uh, take other people under his wing? Sort of introduce them to this idea? You know, as we'll get better results if we work together on this. Uh, you well, know. wind up the opposition as a team. Yeah, I don't. You mean was he going around recruiting people into his yeah, style of play, to, trying to train people, train people up, and uh, you know how to uh, how to play this psychological warfare? No, I, I I don't remember him doing that, but no, he didn't. But it was it was an education watching him, um, and actually, I, I I think we ended up playing against possibly Leicester, but whatever team Callum Davison was playing for, we played them at the Den. And I may be wrong in this. I think Davidson ended up getting sent off. He may have. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. We, maybe we'll have to check that. But um, it, it works. Like people, I, and, and I, I love when things like this come up because people, some people just say, no, there's no place for that in football. You just can't be harassing an opponent. It's about staying within the laws of the game. There's kids watching. You know, someone will always mention kids at some point. But that's, that's how the game, that, that's a, it's, a, it's a hugely important tactic in a game of football is to to throw your opponent's performance. You can do it by intimidating them by you know sledging's the word that's used. But like it's it's very effective and it works. Oh, and yeah. there, will, there will always be a place for it. Oh yeah. Is it is it wrong though? Like I mean is it No, it, it's not so? wrong. You you can't turn around and say it's wrong to intimidate an opponent or or a referee. So I was saying like Roy Keane did it often. Did he, did he do this type of stuff? No, not the, no, I'm not putting him in the same category as Costa in terms of the behaviour, but, but, but you, you know that the way you behave 
and the way you carry yourself impacts your opponent. And if, if you okay, remove Keane as an example in this case, but mouthing at people or the off the ball stuff. Well, for example, I saw Gaza recently on uh, first time I've seen him in an interview for uh, a while, and he was uh, on Claire Balding uh, on, on BT, which is on BBC now as well. And he was uh, there, she was asking about that famous photo where Vinnie Jones is yeah. grabbing his balls and sque- squeezing pretty hard by the looks of things. And he and you know it was a kind of big jokey thing. And he was like, "Yeah, but that really did intimidate me." I mean, there was a throw in later on that Vinnie Jones was taken, and I was run- I, th- I can't remember the exact story, but I was running over just to sort of split mm. the space between man and ball. And he was just like, "Get the f out of my face here," you know. I and, remember. And, and, and Gaz was like, "Oh, she's like, he literally was running away from the guy." The, Vinnie Jones was then in a position to literally tell him when he wanted him in his space and when he didn't want him yeah. in his space. But so it, it does work, but that doesn't necessarily mean yeah. That it's, and it's all right. and again, the intimidation there is that's on Gaza. You know, Gaza got intimidated. You know, Vinny Gaza was, was very young at that stage yeah, as well. But I mean, it, it, it's the same with all the other players as well. I mean, it's like, it's, it's on you to be intimidated. I mean, it's kind of your choice in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You can either let it affect you or you can just brush it off. And I mean, in, in, the, in, in the context of Costa, I mean, it's not like it's a surprise. I mean, you should just be able to say, right, well, today I'm not going to be intimidated by this guy, but I'm also not going to react. And it's your choice because you know it's coming. I mean, in the Suarez example, in the Cantona example, you don't know that a guy's going to karate kick you in the chest if you're a fan shouting abuse at him. You don't know that you're going to get bitten in the arm. Like, you know, there's, it's very easy to prepare to play against Diego Costa. So you're I blaming think. the victim. You're blaming the victims of the... Well, I think everyone should, uh, You're right. Yeah. No, I think everyone should be responsible for how they play. And it's a cop-out to say, I was well, he, provoked. He intimidated me. He, he, I mean, he, he didn't even say that in the dressing room. How could you possibly turn yeah. around to your team and say, I'm sorry, he intimidated me. He, he wound me up. He said, well, sorry, you're, you're, this is a, this is, this <laughs> is a game in where you're going to be in yeah. circumstances where you're going to get possibly wound up. So deal with it better. Just on the, on the Dennis Wise uh, thing. So that was it. <laughs> We're Millwall, back to that. <laughs> Mill, Millwall 2, Leicester 2. I think this might be the game. Yes. It was actually Brian Dean who was sent off for an atrocious challenge on Dennis Wise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Callum Davidson uh, was booked for another atrocious challenge on Dennis Wise <laughs> and was immediately substituted by his manager. Uh, Wise scored and celebrated his goal by blowing a kiss to the Leicester dugout. Dur- yeah. That's the full did, wind-up. Did he score? <laughs> I think, was it a penalty or something? No, Why? they missed. They then missed a penalty in the last minute, which could have given them a 3-2 win. Well, but that really would have been... <laughs> Uh, that would have been the perfect wind-up from Wise. Yeah. I remember, yeah, I, I, I was in the stand watching the match and injured, obviously. And uh, I remember the atmosphere was amazing, but it was all all because of what Wise he brought to the whole thing. He was, like, everyone loved him then. But, he, I mean, I, I find it, I think there's something wrong with people like that. You know what I mean? I, I think, and I, th- I don't think that that sort of behaviour should be tolerated. You know, it's like if a guy wants to play like that, that's not what the game's about. Well, you're, well, you're talking about a guy introducing uh, anger and violence into what's supposed to be a game. Here's, here's the thing. I was about 10, and I remember a coach of the team I played for at the time saying, the first time we have a corner kick, or the first time their goalkeeper comes out to catch the ball, foul him. Deliberately foul him. Don't make an attempt to play the ball. Foul him. Use whatever name, album doesn't matter. Knock you're, him. You're ten years old. Knock him to the ground. Okay. And then because the next time he comes out to catch the ball, and if I'm in the vicinity or someone else, it's the way human behaviour works. It's absolutely a given that he's going to have a little bit of a hesitation. Mm. He might expect a foul from someone else. He might be still reeling from the last one, but it will affect his behaviour in some way. That's the idea, and it works. And and that's just a small little example of the, 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 the premise behind why you would do certain things. 
so many times you hear people in, in a dress room say, you know, let them know they're in a game in the first 15 minutes. That's code for go out and throw yourself about and foul people, hurt people, because you're trying to weed out the people who maybe don't fancy the fight. Do you know all these phrases, you need to earn the right to play. It's another way of saying go out and win a fight. So no one's talking about the, the pure stuff about football and keeping the ball and keeping on the ground and you know respecting the laws and being grateful to the fans sports, forgive sportsmanship me. all that like shite sportsmanship let's go let's go out there and, let's go and, and show and play how the game the right way yeah let's show how sporting we are let's show how much we respect the opponents and how much we respect the officials this yeah. is those conversations don't happen in dressing rooms had you seen the karate kid at the time that this thing was told to you by your coach had you seen the movie the karate kid i i i don't know if have you I've ever seen it ever I, I think you I haven't have. seen the karate kid oh, we're back to another oh, father no. Ted thing aren't we? <laughs> gremlins now you're just naming movies Stay well, I'm, naming, I'm, naming, I'm naming great movies the, that Richie Sandler may not have seen the karate kid is vaguely seen. analogous to what well, we're the, talking yeah, about yeah I mean the, I'm the, sure the I let's say I have let's let's proceed on the basis of seeing the karate kid <laughs> well if, you know I, I mean I would have guessed you know under 10 an, an under 10 team in 1989 probably quite a lot of them would have seen that movie you know, I would I would guess, and surely they would have recognized in the in what the coach was saying the evil karate coach in the Karate Kid, mm. who's saying he's trying to tell his pupils, students, whatever, to use their skills for evil for evil purposes. I don't want him beaten. I want him out of commission, is what he says at one point, and it's all about like you know power and domination, and it's got nothing to do with the with the soul of what this discipline is mm. supposed to be about. Which is what the other side of the movie is teaching you. You know, the kind of the good character is learning this. You know, I mean, look, if if no one had seen it, then it doesn't matter. But I just thought it would have undercut the coach's authority at that point to yeah. be so obviously the movie <laughs> bad guy. You know what I mean? I I, I just think that sort of, that sort of thing. Okay, fine, people are going to do it, but it, they should be punished for doing it. It's like cheating. Obviously, is effective, mm. but like you have punishments for cheating in any system because it ruins. The system, yeah. if too many people do it, it ruins everything. Yeah, but I'm just not entirely sure that there's a massive amount of cheating going on. Like, actual cheating. Well, there I is mean, cheating. What he's doing like, is kind of souring well, the game. the goalkeeper, that's cheating. Well, that's cheating. I, we're, if, but if we go back to Costa rather than the Karate Kid for a moment, right? So he, he hits Kushani twice in the face. What I would say, right, is that the reaction... I didn't see the game live, but I went back and, wa and watched it. Having read through Twitter, Twitter's reaction is, Diego Costa is a disgrace. Like, I've never read, like, bile towards... There like, are a lot of Arsenal what? fans on Twitter. I'm the same. I, I thought he had done a Suarez. Oh I God, thought that was one of these... Yeah. Is, he's yeah. gone off the reservation completely. Like, this man is... He's unhinged. You know, like, put him in the Caged back of it. this beast. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then I go around and he's like... He's said something to Gabrielle and he's kind of done something that happens at most corner kicks. Did a couple in, of slaps. No big yeah. deal. No big deal. Yeah. I'm like, what's actually going on is you're... You were basically you were jumping to conclusions based on who it was, right? And also, there is just this idea that, well, what has he actually done? But I'm here. I, I don't know what he's done, but I'm, I'm sitting here watching him at like half one on a Saturday afternoon, and this guy's just putting me in a bad mood. Like this is why I don't like the. I like the, it's hard for me to like this guy. Therefore, I hate the guy. Yeah. Also, and, I am an Arsenal fan, and yeah. I'm really angry that we're going to lose this game now. But it was, in fairness, it wasn't actually Arsenal fans. It was like just regular people who aren't who, who had no allegiance to the game to either Chelsea or Arsenal, like losing their minds because Costa doesn't make them feel good about themselves. Mm. You know, yeah. they're watching the game, and it's like, well, I, I really want to watch Eden Hazard, or 
you know, Mesut Ozil doing something brilliant, but I have to watch Diego Costa kind of annoying people. Yeah. And that annoys people so much more than it probably should, because I actually don't know what he's done to uh, to justify a three-game ban. I, I, I didn't see it. Do you ever hear the phrase, you know, people use it about footballers, the team needs to be more streetwise, or they're not streetwise enough? Yeah. That's what this... And it's always said in a complimentary way, or, or a derogatory way if a team isn't streetwise. It seems like they're lacking something. They're a bit naive, or they need to... To wise up a bit. These are the kinds of things that come to my head when people use that phrase. It's doing the things beyond what's within the laws of the game. And and, and to, to, to affect your opponent. And this works. The One way to... We've been talking about how you deal with a Diego Costa type intimidation. One way, I suppose, is to chat to a sports psychologist about how to keep your head in these situations. Which I know you weren't too impressed with Jose Mourinho's comments last week about sports psychology? No, he was asked the previous week um, whether Chelsea would use sports psychologists or whether he would consider bringing them in. And his answer, I thought, it just jarred with me a little bit. He said, no, we're men. Um, And this is a strong group. He used the word strong. We are now, anyway. We're all men now. Yeah, so I remember at the time thinking, oh, here we go again. It's just someone else saying, you know, that, that, that men... Or this this implication that a, a man is strong. Strong means you don't ask for help, you don't seek help, you don't work with a psychologist. Um, yeah, I just thought it's it's more the nonsense that you hear for years. It's also it's it's funny that it, with Mourinho because that's the nonsense you hear from years. But traditionally, the people who become managers are ex footballers, guys who've made it to the top and have grown up uh, in that sort of tradition. Whereas Mourinho has come the other way, you know. So he's come tactically. He he's looked at things very differently to how former footballers do. But yeah, he still seems to have that old school mentality about psychology, the psychological side. Well, you know, I suppose, I suppose he's grown up in a dressing room too, just yeah. in a different way. Who's he, who's he? Who's he trying to prove all this to? Who's he trying to prove his masculinity to? I don't know his his players. I, I I mean, there's a lot of you know, just he he fosters that whole thing. Like, I mean, he thinks Diego Costa's great. He thinks Diego Costa's the reason people watch football. He's not like you know. There's there's very few players like Diego Costa. <laughs> Most games don't feature one. Uh, and you'll still get people watching it. There's something else that people are interested in, you know. But, like, he's kind of fostering this whole quite, you know, this brutal culture. He is the Cobra Kai, you know, uh, karate teacher, like, on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, I think one side of it is, oh, you know, the, he, he's got a player like this in his team. He's now forced to rely on a player like this, by the way, who's not going to be available for a couple of games. We'll miss more games, I'm sure. Who doesn't really score anymore? Who seems to be more interested in, in fighting with his opponents? But Mourinho encourages that type of behavior. Then he encourages this. The, remember, he did the same thing at Real Madrid, at least according to Diego Torres. He, he sat them down and said, we need to embrace our role as the bad guys. Everybody loves Barcelona. Oh, UNICEF. You know, well, we're, we need to be the bad guys. We need to be the boots stamping on a human face, right? That's, that's the image I want all of you to take home. We are the boot that stamps on a human face forever. And the random players hard, are sitting oh, there going, it's, and what, really? it's, it's hard to embrace that image if in the background you're showing your weakness by going to see somebody about your well, the whole, mental it's all, health. It's all, it's all of a piece. It's that's, like this yeah. macho kind of bullshit that, that Mourinho, uh, uh, a small, unathletic man who wears built-up shoes and never, you know, wasn't able to kick a ball out of, out of his way, kind of now, he, he is now like this super hard man. You know, and the teams are like super ruthless and it's like just totally cynical and it's like, oh, you know, and obviously you wouldn't go to a psychologist, you know, and probably have those Chelsea players go home and cry. You know? What do you think, what do you think of Ken's theory? Then? Well, it's, I, 
If you were a player and your manager was, what, what do you say? You want to be the boot on the human face? A boot stamping on it. If you want a vision of Real Madrid's future, imagine a boot stamping on a human but face. But I'd imagine maybe, maybe there's some players in the dressing room who go, oh, I'm not sure that fits in with my natural approach to the game. Work with a psychologist and help you get there. It's not always about dealing with things like you always think, you know, shortage of confidence or lack of concentration or poor motivation or all all the other things. It's it can just it can just help you get to the mindset that you think is best for you to perform as best you can. And for him to turn around and then imp- imply that in some way to even start that process or to engage with someone else in that process, that you don't have all the answers yourself, you're not totally self-sufficient, that you're not a man, you're not strong. I, I just that That's the bit that objected to. I just said a quick word uh, before I let you go, Richie, on Ava Canero, the Chelsea doctor, who's left now, um, and is apparently setting up uh, or getting ready to launch some sort of legal action. Anna Kessel is involved in Women in Football, a group over in the UK. She's a journalist for The Guardian as well. She, she, wrote, she essentially wrote this piece outlining the ludicrousness of this situation and of the unacceptability, I guess, of what Chelsea and Mourinho have done here. She says that women in football have uh, submitted evidence to the FA's investigation into Mourinho's comments, as well as writing to Richard Scudamore. We've reminded both bodies of their own rule books and the myriad of breaches therein. We expect them to do the right thing, to take action, to send out the right message. Do you expect all those things to happen from the FA? Do you think that they're going, and the Premier League, that they're going to uh, back Carnero against one of their managers? I, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. I, I, I was speaking to a couple of people this morning about this whole thing. Um, I know women in football is the group. That's the group that Anna Kessel's involved in, yeah. Um, I think the doctor is is absolutely right to get all the support that she's getting because it seems to be, like, ludicrous is the word you use. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous how Chelsea and Mourinho have handled this. Um, you would assume if this case is a legal one coming up that oh, she's... She's got holding all the cards here. That she'd be fine. Um, I I don't think. Just when I hear people talk about this topic, I, I'm always kind of reluctant to just assume or to agree with people that assume she's been treated the way she's been treated because she's a woman. Um, women in football, the organisation, obviously, that that it, it, it it's clear what they do, but. Um, I, I don't think this is an example of Mourinho behaving in a particular way towards a person because of their gender. I think if you look at a lot of his behaviour, um, he, he, he is guilty of being unreasonable oh, and unruly. He, he, even in his initial comments after the game, before the shit had totally hit the fan, he's saying even if you were a kit man, doctor or secretary on the bench, you have to understand the game. Even that was people took as maybe a reference to, oh, well, you know, uh, women are better off being secretaries. Uh, than, than being doctors I, I presume it seemed a funny word to pop into his head I have to say you know, at yeah. the time you know and, and and I think what it does is actually I would kind of tend to agree with Richie I don't, I don't think this is necessarily sexist it's a question of, of, of abusing a staff member mm. you know a, a subordinate but the fact you know the fact that Ava Carnero is, is female maybe throws it into slightly starker relief you know because it's kind of you can see this bullying maybe in more it's it, you know it adds an extra sort of dimension to it, which we, I mean it's certainly it's the reason why I mean there was two people involved in the incident. Remember, mm. there was Canero, and there was also the physio whose name I can't even remember right yeah. now. They were both stood down, but weren't they? Yeah, they but the, yeah, but the point that Anna Kessel, Kessel raises, and people have said this that okay, there's been so, some quite a bit of comment on the fact that Carnero is getting all like, def, being defended by so many people, and this physio isn't really mentioned. That physio is 
love life wasn't plastered all over a tabloid. You know, no. nobody, nobody was going looking for previous girlfriends of his to talk about the sex life that they were having. Uh, he wasn't abused based on his uh, on his gender by supporters in various grounds in the last couple of years, which apparently has happened to Ava Kenner. So whether it's, it's Jose Mourinho uh, bringing sexism into it or not, it's almost impossible to look on, I think, without viewing this, uh, viewing her, viewing her as a female doctor in football, which is a pretty rare thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think whether or not... I think the problem for me is not so much the sexist, because I think it's difficult to, to prove that it really is sexist. You know, I mean, there's talk, oh, well, he used the phrase filia da puta, which is like a, a gender-specific way of saying son of a bitch, like daughter of a bitch, you know what I mean, as opposed to son. He could have said son. But, like, um, I don't really think that's necessarily... You know, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. If you're speaking to a woman, that's what you'd say. If you're speaking to a man, you know, it's not. Is it any worse? I'm not sure, but uh, I think it's this. This kind of shows the cost of what of the way that Mourinho tries to approach things. I mean, the whole thing blew up in the first place because he was angry. He was angry with them for not realizing that his game plan involves a player, you know, faking injury, and then the doctors can't can't run onto the field to treat a. Or, or, you know, to treat an injured player because then there's a stoppage in play and he has to come off. Like, the, basically, the, the doctors weren't Machiavellian enough. That's the problem. And that's why he ended up, you know, having a big go with them in the pitch and then having a go with them afterwards. It was like the doctors weren't evil enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I, and in fairness, I don't know. I, I, we don't know the details of the case she's going to take. I'm not, I, doesn't, I don't think she's necessarily well, talking well, the, about, about, about anything sexist. She's just talking about uh, the fact that she's been essentially relieved of her duties. Uh, for doing her job. Well, the ma- the massive p- mistake that Mourinho made, in, in my opinion, was I mean, he made a big mistake when he when he um, you know brought this whole thing up in public. Anyway, right? Well, he was being asked about it. He didn't need to to go into it and sort of publicly humiliate it. But then to the next day, or you know, to to stand her down from her I mean, what? Yeah. This is apparently because she wrote on Facebook, "Oh, thanks for the support." He's like, well, "All right, okay." And uh, suddenly she's not. What did he? What does he expect is going to happen there? Last word in this, Richie. I think be, it's pretty straightforward to, to, to condemn Marino for his behaviour. It's a bit trickier to realise, you know, what that behaviour was motivated by. And for people to suggest it was for gender reasons or sexism reasons, I think is a bit of a reach. But he was completely inappropriate in what he did. And I would assume and hope that him or Chelsea gets uh, punished in whatever way the FA can. Richie, you better head off. Uh, watch the Karate Kid now at your leisure this afternoon. I have a, The Karate Kid, the Gremlins, Father Ted. Back, back to the future, have you seen Back to the Future? I have. Okay. Oh yeah, classic. Two and three, as well. Mm. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Richie Sandler, enjoy your movie binge today. Thank you. See you, lads. Yeah, Richie, not really buying into 
Ava Canero's gender being the central issue here. It's not the central issue, but it is definitely part of it. Yeah. It's just that image of a man bullying a woman in a subordinate position. It, it, it just makes in, it in, more... in a subordinate position in football, where already somebody like Ava Canero has to overcome quite a lot just to be involved, just to pr- practice her trade, uh, as is her right. Mm. I mean, as, as, as was her duty. Yeah. More so than her right. right so, um, yeah, a big, a big mistake by Maria, which he himself has compounded. Um, he's actually made it worse at each. It'll get step a lot worse. It'll get a lot worse if it ends up going to court. And actually, it won't. I mean, there'll be there'll be some sort of settlement as there usually is in these cases. Or maybe so, not. Be so sure on. I mean, you're talking about. But if, if, if Jose, Jose Mourinho, for I know, trying to work out his PR strategy at this stage is is maybe a bit futile. But it doesn't benefit anyone at Chelsea to have to sit there in court and explain anything around that because it can't reflect well on him. No. And you're going to then start hearing a lot more details that you that that we did, we don't even know about. Yeah. About how he works behind the scenes. I mean, it would be an employment tribunal. You see, the thing is, if it was simply a question of a settlement, you'd have to imagine Chelsea are quite good at making settlements. Mm. If they were, if they sat down, Marina Granovsky is the is the um, chief. Yeah, and I, sorry, of I could be under, underestimating Canero here. I'm, I'm not saying she's going for a load of money, but I'm just saying mm. usually when a big football football clubs will do whatever they can do to not end up having to go to court over these kind of things. Absolutely. And, and you imagine that, that, as I said, I mean, Chelsea have a, have a the top official at Chelsea is, is Marina Granovska, who is a, who is female. I mean, you know, there's not, there, Sunderland also have a female chief executive of West Ham. Um, but in the case of, you know, she could quite easily sit down with Eva Carnero. And if Eva Carnero just wanted money, this problem would already have been solved. Of course, yeah. So it looks as though that's not just what she wants, and maybe she she would like a, a, a kind of fuller form of redress in addition to money. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the Netherlands and how close they are to elimination from the European Championships. Could end up that they're in the playoffs, but things are going pretty disastrously for them on the field. Now there's a big bust up that's happened away from it, uh, with involving two of the most historic figures in the history of football in the country, Marco van Basten and Johan Cruyff, were joined by Mikhail Jongsma, a Dutch journalist, to talk about this. Mikhail, the issue at play here is that Johan Cruyff has had his opinions on how the national team is doing at the moment and uh, Dutch football in general as he tends to do and Marco van Basten who's in charge or I should say is the assistant manager of the national team has had a go back he's really had a, a quite a stinging go at Johan Cruyff here what exactly has he said? Um, well he basically attacked Johan Cruyff about his policy at Ajax because uh, Johan Cruyff it's called the Velvet Revolution uh, five years ago uh, Johan Cruyff kind of took over like he did at Barcelona uh, as well, uh, in implementing his philosophy. And uh, according to Marco van Basten, this has taken way too many uh, victims in terms of uh, management and uh, the results of the actual revolution in, in terms of changing the philosophy of the club and of the youth academy has actually produced nothing. And he's, he says that Johan Cruyff has been mainly about power in this whole story, which is kind of a... Uh, well, hard, hard thing, to, a harsh thing to say. I think he makes a persuasive case, though. I think Van Bas. I mean, he he makes the point, for instance, that uh, Johan Cruyff said the only player in Holland who can pass the ball is Daly Blind, which <laughs> seems like a bit of a sweeping statement. He, but but Van Basten points out, look, you can't on the one hand say football is a simple game, and then on the other hand say the only Dutch player who can pass the ball is Daly Blind. If only one player in Holland can pass the ball. That shows how difficult it is to pass the ball. 
Yeah, that that is a good point, and and football is is evolving all of the time, and Van Basten really emphasizes that as well. That even though the the game is still the same in terms of the size of the pitch and 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 the amount of players on that pitch, but uh, they have become so much more athletic, and it's it's really become a different game. And to actually spot that pass uh, and and to execute it is a different skill. Um, but the thing is that Johan Cruyff's revolution is not so about not so much about the. The, the here and now. It's about implementing uh, a new style into the IX Youth Academy, and the one that really will reap the rewards from that are probably the uh, the players that are uh, well at the moment are only like 13, 14 years old, and you actually see it with some of the new kids coming through in in Jairo Riedewald, who's made his um, uh, full debut for the Dutch national team uh, a few weeks ago as well. He's only 19 years old. Kenny uh, Tete is another one, and you have some some other youngsters coming through. So it's really difficult to to assess that aspect of the game. When when it comes to, I mean, there is a certain element of of there being a draw in in, in talent compared to uh, what we've had over the last few years. But there's all there's been a whole generation that that's been papering over the cracks anyway, and it's really difficult to see which players you can point to that that have actually. Um, benefited from a new setup and and the ones that have uh been <clears throat> well mainly will uh educated and developed by an older one the, the one thing that struck me about what van basten was saying this is all in his this big column that he wrote in in football international and he had a real go um but he said um he he, he sounds to me like he's a little bit fatalist about uh talent development for instance he says um a lot of people find it odd there hasn't been a top striker since Patrick Cliver, but that's but it's not that strange. You don't make good footballers. A good footballer presents himself, and if then the climate is created in which he's being challenged, then he'll continue to grow. So he talks about himself at Milan playing against Maldini and Maro Tassotti and how hard he had to work to score, and because it was a really challenging, really exciting environment, he got better and better. Um, he's kind of suggesting that really... Uh, you know, if you, you can talk about developing talent, but ultimately talent is just there. And uh, and it's a question of whether you can create the conditions for it. You know, I mean, what does Kraft have to say to that? Well, the, the, this, is, this for me was one of the most fascinating bits uh, of, the, of the whole column as well. Because on one hand, you, you tend to think when you think about views in Dutch football, and there have been plenty, of course, but the big one is probably Van Gaal versus Kraft. And and it's the teacher versus well the the more of a well more of an intuitive person uh, having their own philosophy about how you develop players and how you develop a team. But Mark van Basten has taken that to a whole new level in the sense that he well as you say he basically says well the talent is there or not. And for a player of his skill, because he I mean when when he came through at Ajax, I think he's he's got a record of one on one basically one goal per game. Uh, and when he went to AC Milan, he, he had already f- uh, finished the season with 37 league goals in 26 games. I mean, he was extraordinary. And it's, it seems for him, and you see that with a lot of the, the talented Dutch coaches, you see it with uh, Ruud Gerud as well. There's, there's a um, almost a lack of uh, appreciation that, that some people just have to learn to become better. Uh, I think Johan Cruyff is, is, isn't that strong on it. He has developed players who are are just very good with the mind as well. Uh, Guardiola is, is, is probably one of the, the main examples. So for, for him, I think he really believes that if you create the right environment, uh, a talent can 
become more than that he actually is. Uh, whereas Von Bussen actually says, well, it's all about fulfilling the, the talent that is there, and if it isn't there, uh, you're done. But um, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, a friend, a journalist uh, uh, of mine, uh, Peter Schwartz, who also uh, writes for uh, Football International and uh, uh, Weblog Catanacho, he made the very good point that on one hand you see a club like Atlético de Bilbao um, constantly um, staying in the top tier of, of Spanish football, even though they have this restriction of only playing Basque players. And on the other hand, China are really struggling uh, to even get a semi-decent football team together, even though they're, what, they're with one billion people. So, I mean, I think that's a very good point in terms of talent development and how you see that. I mean, the Netherlands have always been good at at actually making the best of their talents. And uh, I think in that sense, <clears throat> Ajax are now trying to create an environment where that is possible again. Yeah, and Van Basten is clearly a guy who thinks a lot about the game and rewrote a big 100-page uh, sort of tome a good few years ago about where he sees the future of football going. He was in, in straight into the national team in management back in 2004, uh, went on to coach Ajax and Heronvane and these teams. Is there a What is the sense of Van Basten, though, as a manager? Is there an idea that maybe he hasn't achieved as much as people thought he, he might in the management side of things? Well, because because of his injury, uh, his career-ending injury, he never wanted to become a manager, and there there was a big surprise when he actually became a manager. At that point, he was a, a well, fairly decent golfer, actually, mainly. Um, so it, it was all a big surprise that he even got into it. But yeah, once once he did that, there was a huge expectation of his uh, to become well, basically the next drive, I think. And he's done some interesting things as well, because uh, during, I think it was the World Cup in 2006, he played Snyder in 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 the, what we now know as the Pirlo role, uh, some things like that. But in general, yeah, he's not not really been, he's not really become a great manager or anything. His his time at Ajax was a failure. At the Dutch team, he actually did quite okay. Uh, he's then managed here in Vain, which was overall okay-ish as well. Don't think the fans really took to him anyway. Uh, and uh, as I said, he um, he's only been in charge for a couple of months because he's uh, he's he, he wanted to quit. Uh, becoming the head coach, he wanted to become more of an assistant and focus on the football again. But there, there is a sense. I mean, these are two of the biggest uh, names in football, let alone Dutch football. So it is a very interesting, and the good thing is that it opens up another debate about in which direction you want to go as a as a country or as a club, and how you want to develop your uh, your youth system and setup. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't Mikael Langsma excellent stuff? Thank you. Cheers. Have a good day. All right, let's go to the chase, lads. Who are we up for here, Van Basten or Cruyff? Van Basten for me. Uh, Van Basten too. Is that because of our age profile? That Euro yes. 88 was such a big yes, deal? Yes, that Euro 88 oh, volleyball. It seems like a bitter, twisted old man at this stage. You know, and, and it is true that, uh, I mean, Van Basten refers to, uh, refers to all of these sackings, you know, like so just sacking people, kind of, oh, you know, you don't get it, you're out, you're... It's not a very respectful way to go about reason. Now, obviously, he sees himself as a genius. I'm a, I'm a genius. I, I don't need to waste time with these mediocrities. I kind of think, well, you know, you certainly were a genius in one sense, but that doesn't give you the right to treat human beings as though they were, you know, just rubbish to be kicked out of the way. I, I think it's deplorable. So, uh, Especially given that the type of genius he was and the, what he did as a young player was all about creativity, all about finding ways to finding new ways to play a game um which you would have thought that if you're creating atmosphere at a club 
by sacking people all over the place who aren't falling into line with your views. It's not very conducive to that kind of thinking. Mm. Uh, okay, you, okay, be creative. Oh, no, you, you haven't been creative enough. You're gone within whatever amount of time it is. Or, yeah, or you're, you're creating the wrong ideas. Yeah. You just create just the wrong kind of creative. Yeah. So you're at your kind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, right? you know, he, he had brilliant revolutionary ideas, but they're not revolutionary anymore. Sort of everyone does them. It's a case of, okay, are there, are there any new ideas? Nobody... There isn't anyone alive who comes up with, you know, two revolutionary ideas to change the world in the space of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So maybe, um, maybe Cruyff's kind of run his course in that respect. Has Brendan Rodgers yet come up with one? Sorry, that's where you're wrong, though. What? Paul McCartney was in both The Beatles and Wings, so. Well, 1985 is a... Bloody good song. Has Brendan Rodgers created <laughs> his one idea to change the world? Can I ask you? Because I see a lot of people tweeting here about the Jonathan Wilson article uh, on uh, Rodgers today. You've read this piece? Oh, yeah, it is. A, it's a very good article by Jonathan, which kind of, I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about Brendan Rodgers, obviously. A lot, I would say. He raises some of the points. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just mention kind of one of the things that he yeah, says here. There, I mean, he's, he's talking about, he, he basically he starts off by praising Rodgers quite a lot. So you're like, I'm looking forward to the second half of this article, um, <laughs> but he, he says, you know, the, you know, he's a he's an intelligent guy. He takes the game. He thinks seriously about the game. He's interested in you know the intricacies of tactics, and he'll he'll he's happy to talk about how he thinks he won a game. You know, and why? Oh, there's nothing necessarily bad about that. That's like a guy who's like he's actually talking to you about the game rather than, for instance, he says, you know, criticizing the referee or, or making up conspiracy theories, blah blah blah. Um, he says. The problem, which is good, or it should be, uh, the problem often is one of tone. Uh, victories often become about him rather than the team, uh, when traditional wisdom suggests managers should let the players take credit for victories while deflecting attention away from themselves. So he gives the example then of when Liverpool beat Tottenham 3-0 last season, Balotelli's debut. Um, and he said, uh, so Balotelli was understandably the subject of much discussion. Rogers was happy to play along with it, happy to play the role of the horse whisperer who had tamed the Italian. He told a story about how he had made a mark at a corner in training. No manager, apparently, had ever made him do that before. None had the courage to look Balotelli in the eye and tell him to do the basic stuff others would do as a matter of course. He was encouraging but firm, giving the kid a chance, but marking out the boundaries. He was Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. And that is... I, I think very true. You know, I mean, we all know what happened with Balotelli. Um, it turned out to be kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, all right. So, look, uh, yeah, it's a good piece, but... Uh, that's in The Guardian today. Yeah. All right, that's it for the football podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Ah, 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 get those earphones back in there, you. Nice and tight to the earlobe, because we're not finished just yet. We've got another brand new podcast out already today, featuring Matt Williams on the monsters picked by the English team to take on the monsters of the Welsh team. Wales, the Wales team Wales. in the Rugby World Cup. That's the big game on Saturday night. Matt was in studio and in he was downbeat as ever, Murph. <laughs> Matt Williams. He just came in here moaning about life and how everything's getting him down and you know just not performing his, at all in front of the microphone. His sunny disposition is an inspiration to us. It remains intact. All right, all right. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Owen. Thanks very Ken. much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Karen. Thanks a lot. If you're listening on iTunes, do rate, comment, subscribe, do all those things to the podcast. We'll talk to you uh, well whenever. We chat to you again. Take care. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.